Doing Ministry Well. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Doing Ministry Well. I'm Jim Baker, your host. And uh, it's another beautiful day here on the island of Oahu in Honolulu. And today, our guest is Danny Lehman. Danny, thanks for being on the show with us. Thanks for having me. Um, Danny, something that I really appreciate about you is that you always seem to have a good answer that's scripturally based and usually based around church history for controversial subjects. And uh, <laughs> I really I really just appreciate that about you. I wish you would um, just uh, put in writing or write a book about all the controversial things and then I would just uh, adopt your opinion and, and just decide that everything was right. But something else that's amazing is that you have memorized one-third of the New Testament. Is that true? Mm-hmm. That is pretty, that's pretty amazing. Um, and that's pretty amazing because part of your testimony that I've heard is that your your mind was uh, pretty much gone. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, it was gone enough where I couldn't concentrate very well on anything as far as holding a job and being able to remember things. Uh, so um, I, sig- I needed a significant healing. I'd done a lot of LSD before I became a Christian, about a year before I became a Christian. So I stopped doing it because I thought I was going crazy. I was paranoid all the time and so forth. But um, so I, you know, I bumped along at dead end jobs for the next several months. I worked as a dishwasher in a restaurant. I worked in a car wash. Uh, worked as a garbage man in a cannery. None of which needed any kind of real intellectual giant, gigantic skills. And then, um, then I got saved, and I didn't get healed right away. But that's one of the things that got me going on scripture memorization was. The Lord just spoke to me and talked about the, uh, in Ephesians 5, it talks about the washing of water by the word. And uh, it was out of context, and I, but I just didn't know any better. So I just pulled it out of context and applied it and prayed that God would wash my mind with his word. And he did. And um, so I kept up a pretty consistent program of memorizing scripture. Ended up with about, with most of Paul's letters memorized and First um, and Second Peter, James, and uh, Sermon on the Mount and a couple of other little spotty things, but um, I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. But I'm I'm going to tackle Hebrews next when I'm through with Second Corinthians, which has been a, which has been a tough one. But um, um, yeah, to me it's just kind of fun. You're just spending mm-hmm. time in the Word. It's better than wasting your time doing other things. And and um, yeah, so it's I'm, as far as uh, what was your first question? I forgot. Um. Uh, yeah, uh, well, here we go. Here's a, here's a good question. How long have you been in ministry? been in ministry for, um, golly, ministry. I've been in YWAM 33 years, and I was in ministry before that, so I'd say probably 35 years, 36 maybe. 35 years. And what, uh, what are you currently doing ministry-wise? I'm overseeing um, what's called the College of Christian Ministries, which is a uh, training arm of Youth with a Mission, and so it's my job to kind of approve the... the um, applications that come in for running schools within the mission and uh, most of the time I just um, approve them or I'll offer constructive suggestions for criticism and every once in a while I'll come down with a hammer if it's a particularly bad idea Hmm. Uh, and you talked about criticism or or controversy before well um, I've always been a fan of St. Augustine's dictum that we have in all things charity but uh, in essentials unity in non-essentials charity but in, uh, in non-essentials liberty but in all things charity and um, I think a lot of what passes for controversy today is it shouldn't even be a controversy hmm. I think we make it a controversy and, and Americans are particularly prone to this because they think the way they see scripture through their North American Western worldview is the way to view scripture and it's not even close to being inductive so 
for instance, um, you can look at Calvinism, you can look at the Israel issue, you can look at uh, various types of things. And, and all you got to do, I was at an eye, eye doctor recently, and she just kept flipping the lenses until I could read the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And I think it just depends on what kind of lenses you have on your head. You know, like I, heard, I recently heard a guy say that anybody that preaches replacement theology is um, uh, not only a heretic, but is anti-Semitic. And, and that's just not factually true. And I'm, I'm not a replacement theologian. I believe in Israel, and I'm, all, I'm on the team. But I just I like to stand up for my brothers and sisters who may have a different way of looking at things because they look at through a different set of glasses. Mm -hmm. If you were an African-American in the 60s, you would look at the exodus a little different than those of us that are white in the 21st century. And you can say, well, not me. I, I interpret the Bible literally. No, we all look through a glass darkly. And so I just think that one man's controversy becomes the next guy's heresy. And I think if we just have more... Uh, learning how to listen and understand, and that's what I try to do. I learned this from the Hawaiians. They have a word called holo ohe pono, which means to listen intently or to listen rightly. Uh, the word pono means right or righteous. And if we could learn how to listen to people intently to really try to understand what they're saying. You know, um, I think if you, you hear something stink about the Calvinists, but if you sit down and you talk to a Calvinist and you ask him, do you believe this, this, or that? They'll say, oh, no, this is this is the answer we have for that question. But nobody ever took the time to listen to me. So I think those are the kinds of things I think that the Word helps you with. And as you, and especially working in an interdenominational mission like YWAM, uh, there are wonderful deposits from the whole body of Christ, you mm, know, yeah. and uh, including some of the Catholics with some of their uh, particular nuances and ways of looking at Scripture. And uh, I just choose not to call him a heretic, choose to call him someone I disagree with, but mm. let me mine out some of the good stuff they have to share. And you can you can just go right down to denominations, from Calvinism with the majesty of God, to Arminianism with the exaltation of the free will of man, the Methodists with their methods of personal holiness and so forth. Hmm. That's good. Um, Danny, in your 35-plus uh, years of, of ministry, what would you say that the biggest highlight has been? That's a good question. Um, I think, and I've had opportunity to do a lot of different kinds of ministry. I've had an opportunity in a limited way to do mass evangelism and seen big altar calls and things like that. And that's really thrilling, at least on the short term. But in reality, we know even Billy Graham uh, admits that 60 to 70 percent of those who are at the, at the altar are not in a church or baptized six months later. Hmm. And that's not to knock Billy Graham. Praise the Lord for all the ones that have stuck with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I certainly wouldn't do any better with him. So even though it would feed my ego to have a big altar every week and have my name in lights, and that would be good for my, well, be bad for my soul, good for my ego, um, I think the best thing I've ever done is investing in Timothy's, uh, in spending time with people, mostly in the context of running YWAM schools and YWAM programs. Um, I've never been very good at well, I'll meet you every Tuesday morning and I'll, I'll mentor you and be a disciple. It's more of an organic hanging around, which is the way I view Jesus did it. He, he just, he, he walked from one place to the other. He talked about fishing and farming and baking bread and selling pearls and finding treasures and stuff that was very applicable to them as they were walking along the road. Hmm. And as Ray Vanderlaan says, uh, his, his disciples walked in the dust of their rabbi and so I've tried to walk in the dust of my rabbis people like Chuck Smith and Lauren Cunningham Kalafi Mawala 
uh, other George Verwer, Winky Prattney, people like that. And then I used to listen to these guys on cassette tape and stuff, and now I've gotten to be on a first-name basis with them, so I've had that privilege. Mm. So what I learned from them, I've just done the Timothy principle in 2 Timothy 2, 2, which is to, to, um, uh, to simply um, take the things God's given me and entrust them to reliable men who can teach others also. Mm. So I think one of the biggest thrills I have is going to Asia. I was in Korea just a couple months ago, and an Indian guy walked up to me and let me know that he was four generations from me because I had discipled the person who discipled his leader. Mm. And uh, and that gave me a thrill because we have anywhere from 2,500 to 3,000 full-time Indian workers. And a lot of that came out of the original seeds that we planted in the early days in the 80s. So I think looking back on spiritual progeny, your grandchildren, spiritual grandchildren, and that they're out doing stuff for God and all you did was invest. And I think that's what Jesus did. He spent most of his time investing in a few guys. Mm. The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman was a, a killer as far as my philosophy of ministry. Just train reliable, faithful men mm. uh, who shall be able to teach others also. That's good. That's good. What, um, yeah, in the 35 plus years, what's been your biggest struggle in ministry? And how did you overcome that? Um, I can't really say I've overcome it. I'm still struggling. Uh, just the area of pride. I think that pride is a is a it's a dark demon in the ministry, and and I think we well a lot of times when we think we got to conquer it, I think we proved we haven't conquered it. As the as a wise man once said, if you if you think you got victory over pride, you just lost it. Especially if you brag about it. <laughs> Writing a book called Humility and how I attained it in ten easy steps. You know? <laughs> But um, uh, I've, been, I've had a couple times where I've been severely busted on pride, usually stemming from a fruit of pride, which is uh, having a critical spirit. Mm-hmm. So, and again, this, this might be one of the reasons I might even be in a fault in my whole theory on controversies because I'm just really slow to call anybody a heretic just because I've been, I've been so busted on pride myself. Mm-hmm. And, and seen so many people who were right in their doctrine and wrong in their spirit. Mm-hmm. And the nastiness, and, the, and a lot of my young evangelical friends have pointed this out, that a lot of you baby boomers, you're all, you got your T's crossed and your I's dotted, but you're, you're nasty and you're mean. And they weren't talking about me in particular, but they were just saying, you guys think it is godly to have the right doctrine, even though you can be very unloving and unkind and un, mm. uh, uh, to people. And I think we need orthodoxy and orthopraxy and not one or the other. And um, so I think probably my greatest struggle has been in the area of pride and in and uh that's kind of on an active side of being pride i think on a passive side the whole issue of um uh, worrying and not actively trusting in god and laying up at night worrying about things that only god could control anyway and i just wasted my time worrying about those things so french philosopher once said i've spent most of my life in utter catastrophe most of which had never happened Hmm. and that's what happened what happened to me but I'd say the whole issue of pride we got to check ourselves constantly why did we do what we did why did we say what we said mm, why do we always look at ourselves when you get the class picture back first um, uh, how can we how can we be truly Christ-like who was meek and humble and hard and told us to learn from him mm. take his yoke upon us and his yoke was one of lowliness and meekness and so forth and I would recommend Anything by Andrew Murray in this regard on humility and uh, the the Calvary Road by Roy Hessian um, are really good when it comes to um, just dealing with some of that kind of stuff. And and plus, observing people crashing and burning around me 
some close to me and others just out in the media, megachurch pastors falling, people running off with their secretary, people pilfering funds, uh, people getting thrown out of their denomination when they wouldn't listen to their elders or wouldn't listen to their mentors or their peers. And, and when I see that, it fills me with fear to try to uh, walk humbly with God. Yeah, that's good. Um, something that wasn't on the list of questions, but you've quoted a lot of books, um, and so I know that you're an avid reader. What's your What's your reading discipline uh, like in your daily life and through the years? Um, I, I get up. It's really simple. I go to bed early. I get up early. Um, I I schedule in my if I have physical workouts I want to do. I try to schedule them when they don't mess up my morning rhythm. Uh, and in my morning rhythm, I, I usually I keep a journal. Sometimes I'll just walk around a neighborhood, look at the stars, and meditate on his on his majesty, and then uh, write some thoughts down, and then uh, do my scripture memorization, my Bible reading, but try to leave some time always to be immersed in a book or something that's kind of challenging my thinking. A lot of times it's reading people that don't hold the same persuasion as me. Hmm. This is where you get off into the end time stuff. You know, some people will call amillennialist or premillennialist or postmillennialist and they'll, they'll usually fire at each other and have they ever read anything original by the other side or they've just read other critiques from their own camp about the other side mm-hmm. and so I think that if they would spend time reading that I also read a lot of non-western authors people like Ajit Fernando from Sri Lanka um, Vishal Mangalwadi from India Ezra Sargunam from India Orlando Costas from Costa Rica um, I just recently read a book by a guy from Central Asia about uh, shame-based cultures as opposed to guilt-innocence cultures as opposed to fear-power cultures. Really fascinating book. And, uh, you know, just stuff like that that gets me more thinking because I'm so dominated by the American Western, you know, way of looking at things that mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll, you read your Bible and you're interpreting it in that way and you don't even realize you're doing it. Right. So I don't think there's anything... Any such thing as pure inductive Bible study, but I think we need to do our best to get there. Hmm. That's good. If you uh, had to share three practical steps with our listeners to doing ministry well, uh, what would those three steps be? Um, I'd have the one would be under the heading of don't trust yourself. Hmm. And along with that, this would be a B of number one. Don't trust yourself and um, don't separate ministry from character. Don't don't be a Bill Clinton who can do something in one office that's very despicable and then still be a, quote, good president. Uh, that might work in politics sometimes, although I don't think it works as much as we think it does. But I think that character and ministry, what you are and what you do, and uh, all that has to, to flow together. So uh, in, in the area of not trusting yourself, I would say, you know, Read about Billy Graham and the Modesto Manifesto, where he he and his team in 1949 decided that Billy would not be, he would not be in in a room with a woman alone. He would not handle the finances of the ministry. He would get a salary. They would have public audits of everything they did financially. They never bragged about their converts. They let the churches keep tabs on the converts, and they never talked stink, talked bad about another ministry. And Billy held on to those four things for 60 years, mm. and it did him pretty good. So. Uh, I've always tried to put little basic safeguards, boundaries around my life, uh, especially when I'm around those uh, of the opposite sex. And I've been even a little prudish at times. I don't like it when single women pick me up from the airport. I mean, I won't boycott and sit on the curb and cry, but um, I just just feel comfortable just staying as far away as I can 
Um, I don't trust myself with alcohol, so I don't drink. And that's, that's, that's not a trip I'd lay on somebody else. I would just say, you go to the Lord and don't trust yourself in any of your areas of weakness. Hmm. tells us in Proverbs that um, he that does not have rule over his own spirit, he's like a city with its walls broken down. And I know where I got cracks in my walls. One of them's in the area of alcohol, so I don't drink. Now, I can't tell the next guy not to drink, but I can tell him I'm not going to do it. And God would say to me, other people can do that, you can't do that. And that's fine. All I say to everybody is you're under the, you, you need to take every area of your life under the Lordship of Christ. And I couldn't fit alcohol under it, even though I tried for years. Why? Because I really like alcohol. And am I really spiritual because I don't drink? No, it's the opposite. I'm, I'm not spiritual. That's why I don't drink. Other people can handle a glass of wine. I can't because I have an incredibly hard time not having two glasses of wine and I've done that on a few occasions and that was enough to scare the bejesus out of me so I didn't do it the second one would be uh, just a little saying I've come up with recently called go where the grace is and being an Arminian and not being a Calvinist I have a tendency to maybe put a little bit of a cloud over the bright sun of God's sovereignty and where I don't believe that God causes everything or that every time I fall down the steps God predestined it but um, at the same time, i got to recognize that God is sovereign over all. And I think one of the things I'd, I talked about worrying before was sometimes to my embarrassment, uh, like I'd, I'd get a bunch of invitations from one particular ministry, and, and they would think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then I wouldn't hear from them for a year. And I went through all these changes on, oh, what did I say? What did I do? Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I should write an apology letter. Maybe I should call the president of the organization. And all that was out of my own insecurity. If I could just kick back and say, hey, there's no more grace there. Hmm. And so if there's no grace there, I don't want to be there. Hmm. And I've seen me fall in and out of favor. Not in, not in a bad way, but just I'll have extreme favor from some branch of the body of Christ or even some people. Or, or there might be some rich guy that really likes me and ends up giving me a bunch of money, and then I don't hear from the guy for five years. And same thing, you know, what did I do? You no, know, just, you had grace. God gives grace. He gave the grace to that guy. He gave me grace. We, he gave me favor in his sight. And then he decided to take it away and let that guy's favor go to somebody else. Hmm. And that was, that was, that's just the way it should be. There have been times when I, uh, I could call Chuck Smith on the phone, first name basis. He'd answer the phone. We'd have a chat. I'd call six months later, and he didn't have time to call me back. And, and, and rather than get mad at Chuck or get insecure, I could just say, ah, no grace there, no problem, and no grace, no problem. You know, and, and I think that would be one of the things that would think it would really really help us. The Germans have a word. It's, it's in Old German, and it's, the newer Germans uh, wouldn't think too much of this application. But it's the word Leben, and it means your place in life. What was the life place, the life setting that you're in right now. And we go through different seasons of being in different settings. Sometimes we're, I mean, I was 29 years old and I went through a youth with a mission DTS. I was already an ordained minister. I'd already preached around the world. And I was told to sit down, shut up and just listen. And that kind of offended my pride, but I had to realize eh, there's no grace here to be a teacher or a leader. There's grace to be a student. I had student grace. And that was my Sitzimleben. That was my place in life at that time. Um, I've been on various councils, eldership boards, advisory boards, and that kind of stuff. And I go in and out of those things. And um, I, I just had a radio show that I had for 20-plus uh, years. And one day I felt like I heard Kenny Rogers say to me, 
uh, you got to hold them and you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. And I went, yes. Yeah, and the Lord says it's time to fold it. Hmm. So I just folded it, and people say, well, well, why didn't you keep it going? It was free. And I said, oh, I appreciated the fact it was free. I appreciated every moment I had, but um, no grace. And so if there's no grace, I don't want it. And you want to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And so if we can't be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, and you're finding yourself trudging uphill, nobody seems to like me, everybody seems to, you know, and rather than getting into some whining thing, say, well, Maybe they don't like me because God hasn't given me grace and favor in their eyes. And that's what Nehemiah prayed with Artaxerxes was, Lo, Lord, give me favor in the eyes of this man. And sometimes you get honor and favor and sometimes you don't. And some of us lose sleep and get and, and we just shouldn't do that because we should go where the grace is and stay in our seats in Laban. And the third thing would be uh, to um, stay in your, and this is a Hawaiian word, kuleana. Your kuleana is what God has called you to do. It's usually based upon your spiritual gifts. Sometimes it's based upon your geography. But um, I think if you read the great missionaries like uh, C.T. Studd, he started out in China and was Studd was a dud in China. But when he got to Africa, bang, the grace of God kicked in and he had this incredible heart of Africa mission. Many missionaries got kicked out of China in 1949 and they ended up in places like Japan and Mongolia and Korea and other places and they did fine because they stayed within their kuleana, which was their personal area of responsibility. The Hawaiians, for the Hawaiians, the word kuleana means a piece of land. So I like to call it cultivating uh, your land and just doing the best you can with what God's given you. And if you're, a, uh, um, if you're a street sweeper, you'd be the best you can be. If you're, if you're a, a uh, Bishop Baker, candlestick maker, you just do what God has called you to do, but do it with all your heart and so forth. And, and one of the ways you cultivate it, the Bible talks a lot about your conscience, and your conscience is your, your inner your inner kind of a, not litmus test, but inner Geiger counter to see if you're straight up with your walk with the Lord. And you got to cultivate it. And Paul talked a lot about this in, in 1 Corinthians with regards to the issue of eating meat offered to idols. But for me, it's like a, something as simple as uh, I'll get through drinking a, a bottle of water and I'll put the cap back on and I got a garbage can right next to me and I can't see a recycle bin. So I go to the trouble of asking somebody where's the recycle bin and if I can, I recycle it. Now, the whole environmental world is not going to be uh, turned around for the good because I did that, but it helps me to keep my conscience Soft. It helps me to to cultivate the character in my life as well as the ministry in my life. Cultivating the ministry would be reading books on your specialty and all that, but cultivating character would be something like that. I was with a, I was in a Mercedes in downtown Jakarta one day, and I was sitting in the back seat, getting ready to go to this big meeting at this big church, and this couple that picked me up was an Indonesian couple, but they were obviously very well off, and a beggar came up to the window. Uh, looking very forlorn and the lady pushed her automatic button window down and gave him a couple of rupees and I leaned up on the front seat and I said now I've heard that there's a lot of professional beggars in Jakarta and that they do this for a living and that they're not really that bad off and she said I know that Danny I just give it to keep my heart soft I said oh there's one there's a takeaway you know that we uh, don't even necessarily do it for them but we do it even if they don't need it we do it to keep our hearts soft and a little area of this in my life has been I rent a lot of cars and I'd always get in this contest with the shuttle drivers 
that, hey, I'm big enough and strong enough, I can handle my own bags, and, and I'd run to get the bag so he wouldn't get them because he wants to get the bag, so I'd give him a tip. And one day I was driving, riding along, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this guy's probably getting minimum wage. He's probably struggling to keep his family alive. You can afford to give him three or four bucks for handling your your luggage and blessing him, and then you give him a track on top of it. So I, I stopped running for the bags now. I let the van driver do it, give him a couple bucks, give him a track. And just the other day I got into a, gosh, a good five or six minute conversation about the Lord with a guy that was just dropping me off at the airport uh, because of that. So cultivate your conscience, cultivate what God's given you, stay in your kuleana, and, uh, and stay in God's grace. Mm, those are great. Those are great tips, Danny. Thank you. Um, what, what's been inspiring you lately? Has there been a book or a resource or just an idea that you've kind of been mulling around uh, that's really, really getting you going? Uh, probably two. With regards to my work, I'm just obsessed with the whole area of planning and strategic thinking with regards to missions. Uh, that might seem like a, a duh if you're from a mission organization, but uh, I, I just come to conclude that a lot, and this is a, this is dirty laundry here, but a lot of missionary money, missionary people, missionary resources is wasted simply because of a lack of planning, because we don't think ahead, we don't plan ahead, we don't strategize. Somehow we think the intellect is something that's bad or that the mind is a four-letter word that's a bad word. But I think if you look in the Bible, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, not the removal of our mind. And sometimes I'll talk to, and of course there are thousands of short-term teams out there, so there's plenty of mud to throw around. And there's a lot of really good stuff going on. But in my opinion, a lot of people who do short-term stuff think too short-term in their thinking and consequently miss the opportunity to bless the long-term workers and to actually make disciples, because that's what it's all about, making disciples who can make other disciples and not just making decisions that might make us look good. That's that's in the area of practical ministry. I think in a a little bit of a paradigm shifting thing in my mind. I've been reading some books lately about uh, uh, various kinds of cultures. And this one particular guy, uh, he pointed out that uh, in the West we tend to be really strong on a guilt innocence culture, and that fr- that's partly what Luther and Calvin were a part of. Uh, the Catholic Church was full of guilt. Uh, those guys felt the guilt. Luther saw this, the solution to be innocent. We receive Christ and receive his forgiveness and his righteousness and so forth. But it's all based on a guilt-innocence paradigm. But another way of looking at it is the shame-honor paradigm. And if you go to Asia and most of the Pacific, secular psychologists write on this all the time, as well as Christian missionaries, that the, the whole concept of, the, of shame and honor and lack of honor and these types of things are big to some people that are not big to us in the West. Hmm. And so, uh, for instance, if a, there's one Pacific, particular Pacific Island culture I've worked in, and they just have a real hard time with Matthew 18, with doing one-on-one confrontation. It's just very, very hard in their culture because they feel they lose face and they feel like they've shamed the other person. And so when you hit them up, well, that's what the Bible says, and the Bible is transcultural, they will still uh, buck you on that until you can, again, patiently listen to why they're like that. Try to get an understanding of the shame-based cultures and at the same time try to minister to them. And then verses come up like, uh, Jesus endured the cross despising the shame. was set down on the right hand of the Father. Uh, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, 
uh, and on and on you, you can use the words. So whether it's outward shame from others or inward guilt from ourselves, um, Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, but he also died, died to redeem us um, and to honor us in corporately in who we are. This guy in this book said that the the um, guilt-innocent cultures use courtroom language, the shame-honor cultures use community language, and the fear-power cultures use combat language. Hmm. And uh, the whole concept of Christus Victor, in the when you look at the different theories of the atonement, th that was a dominant theme in the early church, that Christ died on the cross to disarm principalities and powers and to conquer the powers of darkness on the cross. So that really appeals to animistic cultures in Brazil and the Amazon and Africa, other parts of the world, where they're so dominated by the fear of unclean spirits and amulets and, and idols and fetishes and all these kinds of things, when we can say, hey, Jesus came to, he's greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and he's much more powerful. And so Jesus came not only for the guilt-innocent cultures, but from the other two. And um, I'm just really, I think this guy that wrote this book is onto something, and so I'm doing some more meditating on the scriptures that he's quoting and realizing he's got some good things to say. Not that we shouldn't focus on guilt and innocence, because obviously Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, but uh, he also died for a lot of other things. He died to redeem us, he died to reconcile us, he died to propitiate the Father's wrath, he died, you know, so all those theories of the atonement fit, including penal substitution and the moral influence theory and uh, several of the other ones. So anyway, that's what's been hot lately and just thinking off the top of my head here. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you uh, know the name of the book and the author? Uh, it is called 3D Gospel, and the author's name Jason George, or Georges. Uh, he might be French, but Jason is spelled J-A-Y-S-O-N. Okay, cool. We'll put that it's in a the short little notes. book, but a lot of packed truth in it. Awesome, awesome. Danny, thanks so much for being on the show today. Would you pray for our listeners? Yeah. Lord, I want to thank you for anybody that's within the sound of my voice, and I want to ask you to help them, Lord, to go where the grace is, to stay within their sitzim leben, to cultivate their kuliana, to be diligent and hardworking in all that they do, and at the same time learn how to enter into your rest. You told us that if we took your yoke upon us, uh, which was easy and your burden being light, if we took that upon us, we would find rest to our souls. So I want to pray for your shalom, your peace, your rest. Uh, on everybody listening today and that they might be able to just run after you with all their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Danny. All right. If you've enjoyed this episode of Doing Ministry Well, you can help us out by rating, commenting, and subscribing on iTunes and sharing this podcast with your friends. Check out the podcast notes to find out more about today's guests and other resources mentioned on this episode. To find out more about Doing Ministry Well, check out our website, www.doingministrywell.com. And if you have any questions, comments, or a suggestion on who we should interview next, email us at doingministrywell at gmail.com. To find out more about me, your host, visit my blog at www.jimjessbaker.com. That's www.jimjessbaker.com. All links are Amazon affiliate links, and help us out when you make a purchase through them. Doing ministry well.